it's a little bit like an obstacle course up here, so if I happen to fall or something, just pretend you don't see it. Okay, how's everybody doing? Good. It's good to be here. Uh, I appreciate what Leo just said, our wise man. Um, it seems like in our lives, we're even taught this by, by our heroes, by our politicians, by, by educators, that the more we know, the more we should talk about it. The, the more knowledge that we gain, the more that we speak. But really, it should be kind of the opposite. And so what I'm going to talk about today is that feeling that, well, I know everything about this, or, or I know everything I need to know. Uh, I, I don't need to know anything else. I don't need to listen. I don't need to ask. I don't need to, to even talk about it because I know. And, and I'm not talking about faith. I'm talking about everything else, really. And, and so I want to read. I want to start with Proverbs 28, 26. Those who trust their own inside are foolish, but anyone who walks in wisdom is safe. Basically, when we start to trust our own insight over the Lord's, when we start to trust how things have always been, when we start to trust our guts, how often have we said, well, I know it in my gut that this is how it's going to be. I, I know it in my gut that, that this is what's going to happen. I, I just know. When we start to live our lives like that and we stop to look up things, we stop to, to ask people things, we stop to talk about things, it's like, whatever, right? There's nothing else you can teach me. There's nothing else you can do for me. There's nothing else that I need to know because I know everything. And saying that to people is bad enough, but sometimes we start to kind of say that to the Lord. Never verbally, but, but in the way that we act, in the way that, that we pray, or in the way we don't pray. It's like, yeah, this is how it's always been. Uh, there's a story I like to tell, uh, and I'm just going to use Leo because he's right in front of me. So let's say that tomorrow, Leo wakes up, and, and he hears the Lord very clearly say, I want you to have an apple for breakfast. And, and Leo's like, I'd rather have a steak, but you know, I'm going to listen to the Lord. And so he has the apple. And then Tuesday, he wakes up, and the Lord's like, hey, I'd like you to have an apple for breakfast. So Leo, you know, he puts away the scrambled eggs, and he's like, okay, I'll have an apple. And then Wednesday, same thing. The Lord says, I'd really like you to have an apple for breakfast. And Leo's like, man, I've had nothing but apples for three days. This is crazy, but, but the Lord is talking to me. I'm going to do this. And then on Thursday, Leo wakes up, and he doesn't wait. He just eats the apple. But the Lord says, I wanted you to have an orange today. That's kind of how we live our lives sometimes. It's like, well, this is how I've always done things. This is how it's always been. This is what my understanding has always been. And we don't leave room for the Lord to change that. We don't leave room for, for the Lord to say, hey, stop for a second. Because I'm talking to you right now. I'm teaching you something new. I'm teaching you how to be better. I'm teaching you how to grow, how to learn. And it's such a, an amazing thing to have that grace. Now, let me be clear. This doesn't mean don't learn, don't don't read anymore, especially if it's my book, because I still need the money. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean don't look up things. It doesn't mean don't be smart. It doesn't mean don't gain wisdom. What it means is always be willing to listen, especially to the Lord. But to anyone, it doesn't mean you have to take everybody's advice. It doesn't mean that everybody else is always right. But it also means that we're not always right. It means that God is always right. And what he tells us, the wisdom that he gives us, is what we live our lives by. And wisdom isn't that much about being smart or about how much knowledge you have. Wisdom is, is the experience that you have. It's, it's the understanding we get from the Lord. It's the way that, that we've learned over time how he blesses us, how he blesses others. It's looking at other people's lives. It's looking through the Bible and seeing all of these different stories where God did something and being like, wow, if God can do that, he can do anything. If God can help this person, if God has a place for, for them, 
He obviously can do that with me. I, I love you, Lord, and to keep saying that. But even the wisest among us can fall if it becomes about just the wisdom, about what we know, about how we, we use that wisdom, and stops becoming about the Lord. And so I want to go to 1 Kings 11, 1 through 3. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. Uh, the Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. Uh, we don't talk about this much, but that's a very heartbreaking passage to see because Solomon was the wisest person ever. He, he was a king who, as a young man, when he could have asked the Lord for anything, asked for wisdom because he wanted to lead in the Lord's name. He wanted to help the Lord's people. And so he was granted that and he did so many good things with that. And we look at this passage and it's like, man, how did Solomon lose his way so much? I cannot believe that, that he had this wisdom and he just threw it all away. What is going on? But basically Solomon did what so many of us do. Because Solomon listened to the Lord, and he listened to people that were saying, hey, don't do this because it's going to do this. And he said, yeah, that's for you. You see, if you do that, then it's going to happen to you. If you marry a lot of women, if you date that person, if you accept that job, if you go to that place, then that's what's going to happen to you. But I'm different. Don't you understand that I'm different? And that's what Solomon said. And so his supporters probably were kind of backing him up and saying, yeah, but, you know, kings do this. He's a king, and he's got to be like a king. Kings have a lot of wives. It's what happens. But you see, Deuteronomy 17, 17, I believe, it came way before Solomon, and it says don't multiply your wives because they'll turn your heart away, because they'll change your heart. And it's not about the women. It's not about wives. It's about who they worship. It's about the difference in faith. It's about where your heart is. And about the fact that Solomon, who had once asked for wisdom, now is like, yeah, I got it. I'm good. I've got all the wisdom that I need. I have everything that I need. I don't need any more. And he probably had a lot of people around him. They're like, yeah, you're right. You, you, you did this. You did uh, amazing. You're the king. Yay. I voted for you. You're always right. Because if you're not always right, then I'm not always right. And then to argue with Solomon, I would imagine would be pretty annoying and frustrating because probably you'd be like, hey, you know, Deuteronomy said this, and, and I heard that this was happening. He's like, dude, I offered to cut a baby in half to, to prove my point once. That's a story, not sad, because he didn't cut it in half, if you didn't know that story. Uh, and so I, I offered to do this. I've done so many things. I've been the king. My father was a king. I know what I'm doing. I, I'm always right. I don't need to listen to you. I'm always right. I got it. I'm wise. What are you? I'm the king. What are you? And, and so it would be impossible to argue with him. And some of us, many people in the world, still use that kind of argument. Not king, obviously. But we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. I get it. I get what you're saying. But come on, I know what I'm doing. I, I, I'm, I'm me. I've been through this. And you don't understand. You don't know what I know. It's basically every political argument that you're going to hear forever. Now, can you imagine? We're coming up on debates, and frustrating at times. Uh, but, but whether it's the primary debates or the actual presidential debates next year, can you imagine if any of the people that are running stopped at a question about policy, uh, about anything, and, and they stopped, and you're like, you know what? 
I actually don't know everything that I need to about that, so I'm going to, to look this up, I'm going to study it, and I'll get back to you. Can you imagine what people would do? Like, for one, the moderator probably wouldn't say anything. if would be like, what? Are you, are you sure? Like, what's happening? But the sad thing there is I think most of us probably wouldn't vote for that person. Because, like, well, they have to know everything. But they don't know everything. Most of that is a pretense of knowing everything. But to stop and say, you know what? I don't know. When your kid comes to you and says, hey, why is the sky blue? You're like, well, God had a really cool crayon that day. Sure, that's fine when they're like two, but if you're still telling a 17-year-old that, and he goes to school and he flunks a test because of that, eh, not from personal experience. It's okay to say, I don't know. But not to stop at the I don't know. Say, I'm going to pray about this. I'm going to look this up. I'm going to look into this. Because that is who we are. And that is where Solomon went wrong. You see, Solomon was the wisest, and in many ways, one of the best kings ever. And he ended his reign, his reign after writing Proverbs, uh, Ecclesiastes, after writing just some of the greatest wisdom that we'll ever hear. He ended his reign as an enemy of the Lord. Now, we lose that sometimes because we talk about his life. We talk about the good things that he did, and that's wonderful because we can learn a lot from him. But he ended his life as an enemy of the Lord because he went from, I need more wisdom, I want to be like the Lord, I want to lead for the Lord, to, I got it, I know everything. I don't need any more help. I don't need any more advisors. I don't need the Lord. Because he started to think he knows everything. But you see, where Solomon only thought that he knew it all. We have a story of someone who actually did know it all. And we're able to see how they should actually live. How, how they set such a strong example for us. So I want to go to Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among the relatives and friends. Now, now even if you know the rest of this story, take that aside for a second. Just imagine being in this situation. How many in here are parents or have ever been parents? Okay, it's good job. Uh, congratulations, your kids are wonderful, I'm sure. Um, but imagine how easy it is at times to lose track of them in Walmart or at Disney World or other places in the world that kids may go. Those are the only two I got. Uh, but to, to lose track of them, sometimes it happens. And so I would imagine you have this initial panic of, oh, no. Oh, no. I, I, I've lost my kid. If you're Terry, it's like my wife's going to kill me. I lost her again or something like that. But, but it's like, oh no, and you have that panic, you have that, that pain, and then finally you go look in the coat rack, or, or you go look in line at a ride, or you go look behind Mickey Mouse, and it's like, oh, there they are, and it's okay. Now multiply that when you realize this is God's son, and Mary and Joseph were entrusted with such an amazing thing, such an amazing blessing, and it was a lot of work at times because of what other people said and how they would treat Mary, and Joseph too. But they're like, oh man, we lost Jesus. And they're like, oh no, we lost Jesus. And so it's such a, a shocking and hard thing. Now, I'm going to go to the next verse about how it goes well. But just imagine that feeling. And that feeling is what it's like to live without God. To live in such a way that you are your own God. That your knowledge is your God. Whatever it is. But that you're like, oh man. And so Mary and Joseph were there. Were there they're worried. And so we go to verse 45. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. 
Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the, the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Now, three days is a long time, but we start with the fact that everyone was amazed. Everyone was impressed because there's this 12-year-old, and not everybody knew who he was, but a 12-year-old who is standing there among religious leaders, among religious scholars. Now, take everything you think about Pharisees aside and just remember, these are experts in religious law. They, they understood everything. They learned everything. They read all of the scripture. They memorized all of the scripture. Their lives were dedicated to sharing scripture, to, to reciting scripture, to, to teaching people about scripture. So for a 12-year-old to be there among them talking as equals, asking questions, answering questions, that's astounding. Um, imagine that today. If a 12-year-old stood up in a college classroom, and they're talking about physics or about gravity, not the band. And they're talking about all of the, the gravitational concepts and, and everything else and quantum physics. And they're getting into some deep things. And this 12-year-old stands up and is like, well, actually, this is what happens. And starts to ask questions and answer questions. Be like, wow. So that's kind of what we have here. Now, as Christians, we're like, well, they're not equals, though, because Jesus was Scripture. Jesus is Scripture. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is God. He knows all of this. He lives all of this. But you see, that's the point. You see, that is Jesus teaching us, even though he is from God, he is God, he is God's son, he is holy, he is perfect, he is always right. He was standing there speaking with equals, speaking as equals. He wasn't trying to make them feel dumb. He wasn't saying, you misunderstand this. He was asking questions because sometimes asking is as much about teaching as it is about learning. And he was doing that. He was treating everybody the same. He, he was talking as equals. He answered and asked questions. And if anyone in the history of time could have ever said, guys, it, it's cool that you have your own opinions on this. It's cool that you, you've learned this, but, but trust me, I know all of this. He did. He could have. But instead, he talked to them. He helped them. He didn't act like a smarty pants. He didn't scoff at their questions. He didn't say, ah, oh, you should have known that by now. He spoke to them from his heart. He discussed, he listened, he asked because he cared. It's easy to get frustrated when, when you are an expert in something or when you're passionate about something, when you care about something, and when other people ask questions that, that you're like, you should know that by now. Like uh, if somebody were to come to me and say, Spider-Man, obviously that's the next topic I would bring up, Spider-Man, isn't he the one that wears, dresses like a bat? I'm, I'm, I, my temptation would obviously be like, well, that's crazy. That's in the name. But maybe the person doesn't know. They're not trying to be a jerk. They're not trying to, to ask the wrong things or, or things like that. Like, can you believe that there are people that actually think Batman is better than Spider-Man? Like, that's insane to me. But I'm not going to walk around to all of the poor people that, that like Batman and, and just say, you're so dumb. I'll pray for them. <laughs> but I'm not going to say that to them. And so it's about that. Uh, I used to, when I was way back in Seymour, uh, one of the things that I used to do was help fix computers. And so I worked with this guy who had a business, and it was all about fixing computers, uh, most of the inside stuff, not the outside stuff. And most of the time when we'd get a call and I'd go there and, and kind of fix things out, honestly, a lot of it was, you don't have the monitor plugged in. And I'm like, Mom, you got to plug it in. I'm just joking. And I was like, just joking. And it's like, uh, you don't have the monitor plugged in, or you downloaded the wrong thing, or your internet is off. Just simple things that, that anyone who does computers is like, well, yeah, obviously. 
But for these people, especially the older people who had never had a computer and it's terrifying to them, if I'm like, you should know this, that's being a jerk. And so I would do that, and then I would remember, and I remember now, I was in grad school, studying and learning and trying to be a creative writer, which, whatever. And so I'm spending a lot of money in order to make a lot of money, because if you want to be lucrative in life, get an English degree, trust me. And so I, I, would walk, I was walking into a, my apartment one day, and this is during grad school, and I'm on the phone with my mom, who is here. Hi, mom. And I was on the phone with her, and I'm walking in, and I had this routine. Everybody here, you kind of have a routine when you walk in. And I walk in, and I take my keys out of my pocket, and I put them on my desk, and I take my wallet out of my pocket and put it on my desk. And the next thing I usually do is I take my phone, and I put it on my desk. And so I go to that, and I'm like, where's my phone? And I'm like freaking out. And my mom's like, uh, aren't you on it? And, and like she wasn't asking it in like a jerky way. It's like, you know, isn't this your phone? And I'm like, oh, yeah. And we've all done things like that. So guess what? We all could be made fun of for being dumb sometimes. But how does that help anyone? How does that make anyone feel better? How does that make anyone live better? Let me tell you this, and and, and this is an important point. Making other people feel dumb does not make you any smarter. Making other people feel worse about themselves does not make you any better. It doesn't make your life better. It may make you look better in some people's eyes, but that doesn't matter. We look at Jesus and how he treated the Pharisees, and we look ahead and we see how they eventually treated him, but that wouldn't have changed how he treated them in the first place. And Jesus shows us this. He shows us that we don't have to to hold our knowledge, hold ourselves above others, because we serve him, because we show him, because we set the example that he set. And so Jesus did that all of the time, and he shows us not just here, but with his parents. And I'm going to go to verse 48. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. But why did you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. When he returned to Nazareth with them, he was obedient to them, and his mother stored all these things in her heart. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. In Jewish custom, it was natural for a 12-year-old to apprentice in their father's business because if you've ever heard the term bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah, uh, the age of 13 is when you become an adult, when you become a man. And so the the 12-year-old would go and apprentice uh, in their carpentry shop, in their uh, smith shop, in in the horse stable, whatever it is. And so Jesus, as a 12-year-old, went to his father's temple. Uh, and, and the first recorded words of Jesus in the entire Bible are here, and they are a question, a question asked in love, a question asked patiently, a question asked of people who love him, a question not meant to make people feel dumb, but to help him and them understand more. Because he looked at them and he said, but don't you understand, I, I was about my father's business. He didn't say, you never understand me. You just don't know my life. You just don't get it. And then slam the door and walk away. Probably walk away and then slam the door. He said, guys, let's talk. He asked questions. He answered questions. That's who he he is. And he set that stage from the very beginning. Now, Mary and Joseph did know who he was. They had both been visited by angels. They had the wise men there. If you were here during the first service, you heard a wonderful recount of the nativity and everything that happened from the children. And so they knew that because they were there. 
But I would imagine that it's probably pretty easy to, to not forget, but to have that kind of go to the back of your mind, where you're doing things and, and you're teaching your kid, you're, you're feeding them, you're changing their diaper, all of those different things. And then you're like, oh, wow, this is God's son. And so they, they understood eventually what he had said. It says Mary stored it in her heart. But then from that moment, Jesus went home with them. He didn't say, well, you've taught me everything you can. I'm good now. I'm going to go to the temple and live there. He went home and was obedient to them. He went home and he listened to them. And absolutely, Jesus is perfect. And so did he need them? Not in the way that we need parents. Not in the way that we need other people. But he loved them and he showed them that. And he set the example, not just for them, but for all of us. He didn't throw it in their face every time something happened. Hey, remember that time that I was right and you were wrong? Nobody here has ever done that, right? No one here has ever looked at your husband, your wife, your kid, your parents, and said, hey, last time you let me do this. Last time we did this. Last time you tried to do this and you were super wrong. Spoiler alert, everybody here has done that, and, except me. But, it's, but Jesus didn't do that. He showed them love. He showed them understanding. He showed them who he is. He was subject to them. And the Greek word for favor, it says he grew in favor with God. The Greek word for favor uh, translates also to grace. And he showed them grace. He shows us grace. We don't deserve what he gives us. We don't even deserve the example that he set, but he loves us so much that he set it each and every day of his life. He loves us so much that he continues to help us when we're stupid. He continues to help us when we're wrong. He continues to help us when we make other people feel wrong. He continues to love us. And he gives us a path back. He shows us how to be better. Uh, I searched over the entire internet to find a picture of a baby. And I wanted to find the cutest baby ever. And it just happened to be my niece Beatrice. <laughs> completely, completely subjective choosing. Uh, this is Beatrice. She is eight months old today, actually. And, and so uh, I have talked about her once or twice to some of you. Uh, some of you have seen one or two pictures, probably, maybe some videos. I've got some in my pocket right now if you want to see them. Uh, she's a baby. And so she's learning. Uh, the last time I was there, she would be, uh, she, like you would put her on her stomach for tummy time. And, and she would try to crawl, but she doesn't really want to, so she'd roll back over. Now, we could, some of you guys have had this experience on both sides of it. We could look at her and say, listen, we've been walking and talking your entire life. Why don't you get this? And we could look in her face, her little cute face, and say, come on, get with the program. You've been here eight months. Eight months is long enough to learn anything. But all of us are like, that's ridiculous. You wouldn't do that. You've got to teach her lovingly. You've got to help her. When she falls, you have to pick her up. But then sometimes, often, we stop when it's not a baby. And when it's a new Christian who's like, I, I don't get it. We're like, you've been to Sunday school. Get out of here. When it's somebody who's struggling financially or struggling in their life, it's like, Come on, you should know better. When it's our kid, when it's our parent, when it's our spouse. You, you've learned from this. How come you don't get this? But then we look at a baby, and we're like, oh, okay, I'm going to love this baby. I'm going to help it, her. I'm going to, to help her see Jesus. I'm going to help her grow. That's what we do. And you see, God sees all of us like this. And so it's on us to then see other people, not to see everybody like babies, don't go changing diapers. 
to see everyone in the way that God sees us, in the way that we see this baby. Where it's like, okay, you messed up. Let's talk about how you messed up. Oh, you know, you, you got that wrong, but, but let's discuss this. I've had teachers in my life who uh, would, would mark some kids' papers off. I never got things wrong. But they would mark things off, and they'd be like, take it home, figure it out. And that stinks. Like, that's really hard to do, especially if it's like physics or calculus. And it's like, I don't get this. And people would fall behind that way. But I've also had teachers who would stop the class and say, okay, a couple of you got this problem wrong, so we're going to go over it again, step by step. That's what God does to us. And so he calls us to do that to other people. It doesn't matter how much you know, how much you've learned. It doesn't matter what you think other people should know, where other people should be in their lives. It matters where you are in yours. And if you are comfortable with your life, if you are living by your faith, then you've got to show that all the time. Because it's not about your knowledge, it's about his. It's not about what we know, it's about what he knows. There's a quote from Plato. Not the, the little thing, but the philosopher. Uh, let me find the quote. Uh, the learning and knowledge we have is at the most but little compared with that of which we are ignorant. That's weird old speech, but basically what it's saying is, no matter how much you know, you don't know everything. No matter how much of an expert you are in something, there's something you're not an expert in. Uh, no matter how good you are at math, you're probably not that good in history or science or something else. No matter how much you think you know, the amount that you don't know in the world is infinite. And you see, he uses the word ignorance. And we have in our society turned ignorance into an insult. We, we throw it at people like, you're just ignorant. Ignorance is not an insult. Willful ignorance is bad where you willfully refuse to learn, where you willfully refuse to, to get better, where you willfully refuse to listen. That's wrong. But just ignorance, all that means literally, and trust me, I'm an English major with several useless degrees. What that means is you don't know everything. And guess what? All of us are there. And so ignorance is a thing. I'm very ignorant about NASCAR racing. I, don't, I understand that it goes in a circle. I don't know what goes into cars. I barely know how to put gas in my car. And that doesn't mean that I'm willfully ignorant with it. It just means I don't know. I know some other things. I apparently know a lot about Spider-Man. Very useful, again. There are things in your life that you're going to know a lot about and things that you're not going to know very much about. But no matter how much you know, there's always more to learn. And no matter how much wisdom God gives you, there is always more wisdom that he can give you. There's always more he can help you with. There's always more he can do for you, do through you. And it does not mean don't have any confidence in what you know. It doesn't mean don't have any confidence in yourself. It means it's not our knowledge. It's not our heart. It's not our gut that we should trust. It's our God that we should trust. It's his wisdom. It's his life. Because we don't know everything. And so it's okay to ask for help. In fact, it's good to ask for help. And everybody else doesn't know everything. So it's good to offer help respectfully and kindly and politely. Again, like Beatrice, it, it, it's good to do that because we're not perfect, but we serve someone who is. And so above all, it's not our heart. It's not our knowledge. It's not our gut. It's his. And so I have one more scripture. This is Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. We came full circle with this. 
Because this, like the first scripture, was written by Solomon. Using wisdom that God gave him. Using the heart that God gave him. Using the pen, the quill, the old typewriter that God gave him. Using the life that God gave him. And he actually was writing this to give advice to his son. He was basically saying, hey, no matter what you do in life, son, trust God and he's going to direct you. And we look at that and we're like, that's right. When I was in caravan, which is a thing, it's kind of like Nazarene Boy Scouts. Uh, it was something we did. It's similar to confirmation a little bit, but you earned badges. And I like earning badges because I like getting experience and things like that. And so in caravan, this was the motto because it's so important to know. Because again, we don't know everything, but God does. And so Solomon wrote this and we're like, wow, he really was wise. But then we look back at, at what happened to his life, and it's like, wow, if Solomon can fall, if Solomon, who wrote these beautiful words, if Solomon, who gave this advice, if Solomon, who understood just wisdom, can fall, what does that mean for me? Well, it doesn't mean that you're destined to fall. It doesn't mean that, that you have no chance if he didn't have a chance. It means that he stopped doing the first part of this scripture. He stopped paying attention to trusting in the Lord with all of his heart. He probably gave him at first like 95% of his heart. And then he lowered it to 90. And then he kept going and he kept getting more money and he kept getting more wives and it goes down to like 50. And then eventually it was one. Well, here's the deal. Even if you're right 99.9% .9 of the time, God's right 100% of the time. So there's always someone that can help us, always someone that knows more. And I love this part because trust in the Lord, we understand that. But the word for trust here, the Hebrew word, literally means helpless, face down. That means you give yourself entirely to him. Because when you are helpless and face down, anything can happen. Like your back, your neck, that's open to predators, to creditors, to anything that can come after you. But you trust God so much that you're helpless and you're face down because you know he has your back, literally and figuratively. And that's what trust means, and that's how much we should trust the Lord. That's how much we should trust him with everything, not our own knowledge, but his. And like I said, our own understanding, it may be right most of the time, but most isn't all. But he is right all the time, so we can give everything to him. God is perfect. And if we acknowledge that, if we acknowledge him, if we trust him, he will direct our paths. I love so much in the Bible. I have all of the Bible, but I love the promises where he says, I will do this. He doesn't say, if you trust in the Lord and you give him your heart, then every third Tuesday, he'll direct your paths. It doesn't say, if you trust in the Lord and you give him 100% of your life, then occasionally he will help you out. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and he will without a doubt, absolutely, fully guaranteed, direct your paths. He will help you, always. It doesn't mean that he's always going to tell you what to eat for breakfast. It doesn't mean that he's going to give you a map and say you have to go this exact direction. It means that if you go to him every single day, all of the time, with your heart, with your mind, with your soul, with your words, then he will direct you and he will help you along the way. When I first got called into ministry, uh, I, I didn't understand it. And I was a senior in college, and I'm like, I can't do this. I have an English degree. I have to go be a famous English-er. And, and, and I'm like, I can't do this. I can't go to a Christian school. I can't spend money on another four years of college. 
and I didn't understand it. But God didn't say, well, I'm done with you then. Because I kept trying to serve him, I kept doing my best, and eventually he led me back into ministry. He helped me, he directed my paths because I trusted him. And I'm not special, but he is. And so maybe you're sitting there like, man, I've already messed up. I've already turned away, I've already tried to direct myself. It's not over because if you give him your heart right now, if you trust him completely, if you acknowledge him, he will direct you 100%. He will direct you. He will never leave you. He will never fail you. And he will do it with grace. He will do it with love. He will do it with hope. He will do it with mercy. And then he will tell us, now, go and do the same. That's all I got. You guys good? Okay. Please stand. Uh, We have Gravity coming forward again. They have one more song for you, but before that... This can be a tough lesson. Because... As we go day to day, we will meet people who do not do this. We will meet people who are our bosses, who are our friends, who, who are our compadres, who work below us, who work above us, who are around us. We will meet people who say, shut up, I don't care about your opinion. And that hurts. And so what happens is if you're at work and the boss says, excuse me, the boss says, uh, I don't care what you think, I'm always right. The temptation then is to go to someone else and be like, I don't care what you think, I'm always right, to make ourselves feel better. But I go all the way back to the beginning. Making other people feel bad does not make us better. Making other people feel dumb does not make us smarter. But making other people, helping them to see the love of God, to see the example of Jesus, that helps everyone.